Hey ladies and gents, welcome back to Alpha Review Podcast. In this episode we discuss Crash and we had a special guest, that being Jacob Fremberry from Music City Drive-In. He's a very good friend of mine. It was a privilege of Franco's to meet him. We all got on very well. We didn't just talk about Crash, we went on a lot of sidetracks. We talked about the Oscars. We talked We talked about all sorts really. It was just a really fun conversation and I hope you all enjoy it as much as we did. Thank you for listening. Sick. So, Franco, this was your first. Um, this was your first. T- so, I should probably start by saying we did Brokeback Mountain last week, didn't yeah. we? Mm-hmm. Um, we spoke to, to the writing producer. It was our first time speaking since since um, Larry, Larry McMurty died. So, we were grateful to have her on. Yeah. Um, obviously, um, Brokeback Mountain not um, famously lost Best Picture to Crash, which is this film. Uh, so, Franco, <laughs> was this your first um, time watching Crash? Yeah, I'd never seen it before. I knew there was, like, another version. And I knew there was, like, this was, like, the not-so-good version. But I didn't really know what it was about or how, why it was the worst one. But... Have you have you seen it before, Jacob? Uh, I watched it for the first time yesterday. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. It took, yeah. It took, me, it took me a few hours and a few stopping... Um, I think I watched the first like 50 minutes of it and then I had to stop because I was like, this is like, you can't be serious right now. And uh, then I came back to it later and I was like, oh, you are serious about what we're doing. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think you've um, outlined your thoughts of the film, Franco. Um, I let basic, we had issues last week with Franco and his mic, which kind of shut him down for the interview. So yeah. this is going to be his redeemer, this one. So go on. <laughs> speak, yeah. give, give us your kind of basic thoughts on Crash. I thought it was too like pretentious and too like trying too hard to make it like a racist film. I thought about racism. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Like this film is obsessed with injecting racism into you at any point mm-hmm. it can and um i think when we were talking to diana about us um brokeback mountain the one thing i said was that brokeback is so the opposite approach to crash where crash is just so not written organically it really just tries to inject what it is to you it's not it's so obvious it's so pretentious it thinks it's more than what it is and I think Crash is an example of a film that's written about racism by a white person because I think Paul Haggis's whole point, I think he he said in an interview he wrote this film because he was, um, I think he said his car was um, jacked by a, a group of black men and he said he wanted oh, to like... Oh, so it just makes it all the better. <laughs> yeah, so so he was like, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a film where so everyone's equal in their racism. You can be black, you can be Asian, you can be white, you can be gay, you can be straight. And we're all just equal in our prejudice and the way we collide is through car crashes, apparently. So... Oh, sorry, I just wanted to like add on um like my like initial like thoughts on the whole thing is like i saw a review on letterbox that like put this perfectly and it was basically it's from cody derricks i don't want to like take his words but he was basically talking about how like we have to remember that this movie's only over like a 36 hour period and so all of the changes that these like characters had and like the development they're they're not gonna stick around it's not like these characters like change for the better. Like that's one thing for me that like watching it, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like yeah, there's no, there's no way that like seven, like there's no way that, um, oh my God, what was his name? Uh, why can't I, Matt Dillon. There's no yeah. way that his character could like, 
feel up and like sexually assault like a black lady, have 17 years of like racial discrimination and then save that same lady from a car and be like, oh, I'm going to be better after this. Or, uh, or my gosh, I can't even think of, I can't, I don't even want to like think of who was in this uh, just because I feel bad for their career. Sandra Bullock or like Sandra Bullock, who like was the, one of the worst people in the entire movie. And she like, fell down a flight of stairs I, d- I don't know if we can get into spoilers or anything i don't know I mean, yes absolutely it's like yeah. 15 years old so um but like sandra bullock literally just fell down a flight of stairs and the mexican cleaning lady was the one who like helped her to the bed and i was like there's no way that she's just gonna be like oh like now i think like all mexicans are like not terrible people like she was thinking earlier it's like <laughs> i don't yeah. know just that like reading that and like thinking about it I was like that makes so, so much sense how this is like this really is just like a shitty day in someone's lives yeah um the weird thing is you mentioned how you'd felt bad for everyone's careers in it but then nonetheless it not only did it win all the Oscars including best picture mm-hmm. but this was like apparently a passion project for all these actors some of them literally got no pay from it it was quite a small budget and it just makes me think if this is a passion project for them and they think a film like crash just by reading this very not well written script it makes me think about the attitudes of people back then as a whole like how they think mm-hmm. that crash is the answer to racism and how they were so narrow-minded to think it's that black and white yeah. yeah uh yeah no i agree and it's like i mean matt dillon got an oscar nom from this i don't know how but <laughs> the, the weird but, thing um, is, the weird thing is he yeah got, he got nominated everywhere and i don't understand mm-hmm. why he of all people got i guess he's just kind of like the most cliche one to get like nominated he like go you know he's a good but a bad person and like yeah you could say his character's most complex but i've got to say if i could have chosen the person the one the one part of this film that i did like and the one person i would nominated i really liked michael pena's character yep i thought his yep. i completely agree i thought his oh, his no, scenes sorry. were it's okay no sorry, it's, it's the problem with zoom you're always talking on top of each other <laughs> um but um with um with his character it was the one that i felt like was actually the most creatively written like it wasn't just trying to inject something into you and i just thought he gave the best performance out of them or even like the bit in it where his little girl run even though it's a stupid scene and everything and i i it makes me laugh that bit where um where it crash zooms into his face as like he grabs yeah. it and he goes no yeah. <laughs> like when um i do think that the whole um his daughter having the invisible like vest and her running up to him i think that's really good and key writing but the thing that ruins it is the story around it about um about basically when i watch this film i do genuinely think to myself is paul haggis just a racist because he's because instead of like trying to look at the overall issue of racism in america which to be fair is mainly from white people to black people to asian people he he wants to just kind of like open it up and like he's, it's almost like he's trying to cause more unrest by trying to be like you know everybody's racist everyone has their prejudice against each other yeah no i i completely agree and it just like like my first thoughts when i was like really watching this i was like okay paul haggis has definitely seen magnolia and he has definitely seen Nashville and he decides that, oh, I can make this movie, but I, as a white person, should make this about race. Also, I love that they put like, it's post 9-11 in the, uh, in the like 
description yeah in the description or synopsis of it and it's like the only time they ever allude to that is when they're literally like calling out someone for being um like afghan even though they're not um and so like it's just little things like that just like blew my mind like Mm. when i was watching this i go on go on franco i was just adding to that in the poster it makes it seem like it's gonna be a matt love story between matt dylan and um Daddy oh. and it's just like not at all like they don't have a love story at all so it's a bit like misleading sort mm-hmm. of like it's completely weird um yeah i think go on go on I jacob think, i think like for me another thing like i really noticed like and this is the this is the reason that i understand why it won best picture because i think this might have actually been the most emotionally manipulative film i've ever mm-hmm. seen in my entire life i completely because agree it it takes like it takes little things to like make you think that awful things are about to happen like you know and then it, it tries it tries to be like oh go back and watch this film a second time and you'll notice it from the first time like when uh like when the um the store owner's daughter was buying the bullets and the gun owner was like do you know what kind of bullets those are and she just grabbed them and left it's like, okay, so now we're supposed to know that those were blanks and that nothing was going to come out when it fired it, but we didn't know that at the time. And so when his daughter literally ran and jumped into his arms, which again, like you said, was the probably the funniest sequence of the whole thing. Just that like, like instant like crash zoom and then like the, sh- like the weird shaky cam and like everyone's screaming, but like it's, it's almost like um, one of those uh, animes where like, people yell and then their voice comes after and so um and so like for that it was like like trying to like play off each other for the entire movie that it's just like it really like tries to build up this tension and be like oh it'll be okay like the cop finding um oh why can i not remember anyone from this movie uh the cop finding terrence howard like the same cop from earlier finding terrence howard which i thought that scene was just so insane like because i completely get where he's coming from and i get like his frustration i get his anger and i really enjoyed his acting in the scene but it's like in that moment you're not you're like you're not in the wrong you're being literally robbed (laughs) like your car is getting jacked just come out and say hey there's literally a guy in my car trying to steal my car go like go get him (laughs) and it's It's just ridiculous yeah and then and then the whole thing, and another thing that like really like upset me was when they had the cop come up and like sit, like basically saved his life and was like, because Terrence Howard was about to pull a gun on all the police officers, which just blew my mind. And then you have the cop come up and save his life. And then that cop later kills a, a black man in the car. And it's just like, and then that he happens to be, it's just like that's the whole like magnolia thing where it's like all these coincidences happening together but it's just like it just felt so like off-putting in my mind yeah because um i because we say this about crash but we do have to say when crash came out some people like roger ebert legitimately loved this film and they Mm -hmm. they they just thought it was a masterpiece and um like I don't want to like try and justify their taste in the film like that's them but I feel like the reason why people connected with Crash when they did because obviously there's obviously the argument you know like when we watch films now like you know Gone the Winds like racist at the time people didn't notice it because that was just the time and obviously the time of this film it was 
obviously 2005 when this film came out and wide release in the states it had only been four years since 9-11 which you know isn't in hindsight isn't that long ago at all for as big an event as it was and yeah i feel like we were i think everyone in america was very kind of emotionally sensitive to like um like racism and just hate and um i feel like paul haggis knew about when writing this because like you said it's in the synopsis of the film and he really used that to his, his advantage to kind of make this very emotionally manipulative manipulative film which doesn't really it doesn't have much to say crash like it has something to say but it doesn't offer a resolution like by the end of the film i don't feel, i don't see the point of watching it hmm. same no yeah, yeah it, it talks a lot but it it mumbles and it doesn't have anything to say at the end yeah I think, um, yeah, go on, Franco. Oh, I think for me, like Ludus's Ludacris's character was so like just ridiculous. Like he sort of goes in about like the racism towards black people and how he sort of like never robbed a black person. And like Paul Haggerty says like through the character sort of about like they talk the the first like line about the racism. Like it sort of like sets the tone sort of like his character, and then he instantly goes in like robs uh sandra bullock's character and it sort of like contradicts himself like a lot it's really like yeah. sort of weird that scene yep 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 i i actually i wanted to talk about that i'm glad you brought that up because it's like for me when i was watching that when he comes out and he's like why do you think they didn't give us you know coffee and dude's like well we didn't we didn't want coffee and he's like well why didn't they give us uh why didn't they give us you know, better service. And he's like, like ex kind of trying to explain everything. And then he's like, like, we're two, we're two black people in like a white neighborhood. We're the ones who should be scared, not them. You know, they're the ones who are feel comfortable in their environment. And then they just pause and they say, all right, let's go get these people. It's just like, hmm. like just watching that, you just feel kind of like weird, especially from you know, from the writer's standpoint, when it's just like, like, it seems like Paul Haggis was trying to explain stereotypes and explain racism, which isn't, it's not his, you know, it's not his place to try to explain anything like that. Yeah. Um, but it really seemed like he was trying to like, explain racism for a black person and it just came off so wrong. And then you like, you instantly contradict yourself by robbing someone. And it's just like, like, it's, I don't know. Like, it just was one of those things, like you said, like the script just blew my mind. And like to go on Rotten Tomatoes and like see that people were like, oh, this is a masterclass in like film writing. It's like, okay, if you think this is a masterclass in film writing, then why didn't you give Paul Thomas Anderson the Oscar for Magnolia, who did yeah. like this exact same thing, but a million times better. Like, like it's just, it's so frustrating, like actually like going back and thinking about it, but the, in the same thing, like you, like you can't understand, like you said that, uh, like it kind of is like a product of its time. And like, you understand that like in the time that it came out, emotions in America were high, you know, we were just, like starting the um the war on terror and like people were like so high up so it's like like you watch this in that moment and you're like okay this is what a lot of people are thinking but not wanting to say and it's like you watch this now and you're like i just can i can't believe that this is actually like something that really got the love that it 
ended up getting. I, I think that's like why a lot of people love it, like because like mm -hmm. you say, um, we, America was just about to go to war as of the time it's released, and I think a lot of like you know white Americans like kind of when watching it were kind of like it's kind of their like this film's almost like they're like kind of like ah fuck you Afghanistan, you call us racist, mm -hmm. look how racist you are, and it gave them yeah. a lot of pride in that. Um, but just going to what you said about Paul Haggis, I think the thing that makes me mad about crash is that it treats you like you're a fucking idiot like yep from like the start of it where like um uh what, um what his name's getting ahead don Cheadle's character drawing like the, the credits with like the like the police lights and like the names mm -hmm. like and he's like calm like like narrating over like you know like race with wait, i don't mean to cut you off but they do say the title like two minutes into the movie i just had to like throw that out there okay and i think that's the only time they ever say crash in the entire movie yeah, I mean, speaking of which, why is this film called Crash? <laughs> I, don't, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I I think I I think it's like supposed to be like like a metaphorical like two people crashing into each other and like their worlds like shifting from that. And I think it's it's going back. I didn't. I'm sorry, like for cutting you off earlier, but like going back to what you said like it is kind of that pretentious like where it's almost like talking down to you because it's like oh like look how interesting this is like look how metaphorical this title is or something like that when it's just like like the car crashes meant like nothing like you really you really only saw one crash and it was at the very end of the movie um after Ludacris lets all the um like Asian people out of the back of the van and then that um the black doctor gets in a wreck with the people behind like that's the only time you ever actually like see a crash and so like that's just like another one of those kind of like pretentious sort of things that you were talking about yeah um in the directing it also kind of doesn't treat you like you're an, an intelligent adult like for example the scene in it in which um Matt Dillon pulls Fandy Newton's character out of the car and then like as the police are like taking her away he's looking at her and she's looking at him and then it, like the whole point meant to be like oh they have both changed and it's like mm -hmm. we could have we could have either of made that up ourselves or interpreted it and way ourselves but um Paul Haggis he has like his chess pieces and because this film isn't organically written you like have to be thinking the same things as him so it can't just like let you take things as you wish because then it will just fuck up the rest of like this yeah. world that he's trying to build so I feel like with that uh, scene, I feel like when Stanley Newton like, looks at him, it sort of gives off like she's forgiven him. Obviously, I can't really speak about it, but like, I feel like with, when you get sexually assaulted, you will not forgive that person. And it's like, no, yeah, I don't think so. he saved her, but he still did what he did, you know. Mm -hmm. to... And like Jacob said, this is only set over 36 hours. I don't think people can fundamentally change that quickly. Mm, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like, it, it, like it was supposed to like be seen as like a sign of respect like that they each had for each other like oh like i respect you for saving me and he's like oh i respect you as a person now when like i mean it might have been morbid but i i think like it maybe would have been like better if she would have died and he would have had to like kind of live with like oh like i was that kind of like reason like because she didn't want his help and if like she kept refusing, 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 and then it did, she did end up die. It's like, and of course, like that's like very dark, and I don't know how 
else you could really like make this film better. But like, I could see a world where like, oh, like if she died and then if um, Terrence Howard ended up dying later on, it's like he had to live with like, oh, like I was basically the cause of them dying because I was, um, you know, I was the reason that she didn't want to get out of the thing. And then I was also the reason he didn't trust the police. And so like, I could see maybe that sitting with him a little longer, but it seems like one of those things where like, he just went through this moment, he goes home and then he helps his dad out and he goes back to work the next day and does the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, so this film also won in best editing. Um, any thoughts on that? It was well edited and it was like, oh, okay. I've, I personally think like, I like the sort of transitions of someone walking into the room and a different character sort of leaving a room. I saw, I did like that, but I haven't also, and I have also, but I ha on the other hand, I haven't seen the other films that were nominated, so I couldn't really sort of say that it did deserve to win. One sec. So yeah. shall I get him off? I'll see if you've seen any of the rest. Okay, yeah. Because got my right here. Okay, got him. Um, best film editing. So Cinderella Man, uh, The Constant Gardener, Munich, and Walk the Line. That is kind of a that is a poor group of editors. I you know that's not really like the I would have taken Walk the Line. I think I think like I think that really like Walk the Line not getting into best picture, but like getting into like so many other categories and like crash winning best picture is like it's very frustrating for me because Walk the Line is just such a better movie, but that's different conversation for a different day. I mean it was snubbed for a nomination, but I would have given Brokeback Mountain the win because I think in terms Oh, of, yeah, absolutely. You know, that, absolutely. Just, that isn't like, it's not like Crash. It kind of lets you make, decide things yourself through like the way characters speak to each other, mm -hmm. but not in a direct sense and the way they look at each other and the editing has a big part in, in it. In terms of those nominations, have you seen Munich and either of you two? No. Uh, I haven't yet. Oh, um, I... Go on, go on. Yeah, I, I still need to get through a lot of... Uh, a lot of his work i i love um i'm not a massive steven spielberg fan but that's that's another conversation for another day because i know me and frank are crashing that one but in terms of um those nominees munich's actually one is one of my favorite spielberg films i would have a hundred percent of given that that my vote because that's a tour and 40 minute film that just flies by and it doesn't it doesn't feel slow it doesn't feel like it's wasting any time yeah and like to go back on what you like asked about the uh about the um, editing, I think like for me, you know, I think if you have a movie that's an hour and 50 minutes and it's like this with so many like different cuts, I feel like it needs to like flow a little bit better. And I, I can respect the editing in some places just for like the different match cuts I thought were interesting, but I feel like a lot of that was probably written into the mm -hmm. script more than it was like an editor's decision. And so like in my mind, that's more of a screenplay thing than it is like a pure editor's thing. Cause it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, like in the script, it's like, okay, we're going to stop on Matt Dillon's character. And then we're going to start on Terrence Howard's character. And so like, for me, the editing just felt so, it just, it, it felt so bland. And I think it really culminated in that, like in the, uh, the scene where Michael Pena's daughter like gets shot Mm -hmm. and you just kind of see like 
17 different cuts from like people falling to their knees and screaming like that it felt like a parody at that point Mm. it literally does it feels like crash was a film that was made before and they're parodying it because Mm -hmm. because of reasons like that i'm kind of balanced i'm kind of like balanced in terms of what i think i'm kind of like mixed where you two are at it i think that crash is a very kind of oh shit i've just i've started recording the best just hits recording sorry gents um but like in terms of like the editing win, uh, like I'm kind of where you are because I agree with Franco in terms of it tried to spice it up with like what it had, but the screenplay is so structured that like it's not like the social network where you're like having to like keep like you know cutting back mm-hmm. and then like you know trying to make it all make sense. It's like very much like this scene happens, 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 this scene mm-hmm. happens, and like for that reason, I'm not really sure if it deserves editing in terms of it, I feel like a lot of it's already there in the screenplay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and and going back to like i keep comparing it, i mean it's basically the same structure as magnolia but like you keep comparing it to magnolia and i think like when you watch magnolia compared to something like this and you see like the level of editing in magnolia where it like keeps all of these stories together while like making them their own separate stories i think that's have you guys both seen magnolia no not yet it's in the watch i've seen yeah i've seen magnolia okay so yeah so like so like benji understands how like they keep all the stories together while making them separate and then like when it really gets going and it really starts to like like push the envelope of like the film it height like the editing really heightens everything where i feel like the editing in this movie was really just to like keep it moving rather than to like really bring something else to the film yeah so um i guess something i would like to talk about with crash is that obviously famously it lost it won best picture to break back mountain in um in what is called the worst best picture whenever um have it, I do, do you, I mean, Franco, I know that you're not as familiar with it as me and Jacob are. I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, I'd say this and Green Book are on like a similar level, but just for different reasons. Yeah, I, f- I just don't like, I sort of like maybe in a time, it might have been like a different sort of place for like racism and stuff. And it was maybe like, but everyone sort of kept themselves about. But nowadays, sort of everyone's very like open about sort of like racism, especially with like the recent BLM movement. So, like, I definitely feel like it's just like it was just such like a stupid decision in the academy's apart like to put uh crash over Brokeback Mountain for best picture like Brokeback Mansion Brokeback Mountain sort of yeah like told so much more like story and sort of like the sort of it's said so much about like sort of what gay people sort of go through on a day-to-day basis with like and um Heath Ledger's character fighting sort of like his homophobia sort of part like against his gay part was really well done whereas like with this film it didn't sort of do anything like that no it doesn't no yeah and um like to go off uh to go off what he was saying uh especially where okay so here's here's like my conflict with it I think that Crash is one of the worst like made movies to win best picture but i've always talked about how i think green book is the worst best picture winner of all time even though i think green i think green book is a better movie i um, i would much rather watch i'd i would at least watch green book again whereas like i will likely never see this movie ever again but 
like my my thing is like with Green Book, I feel like we should have been past this kind of movement. And I feel like as a country, especially after just awarding Moonlight Best Picture, and then we get into a uh, Best Picture race where you've got Roma, you've got Black Klansmen, you've got Black Panther, you've got um, all these sort of, I know I'm forgetting one. People the Star are Wars Born Vice. Yeah. Uh, no, I think uh, you pointed you, out them. All the, yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, so you've got like all these like diverse types of things and we just gave it to, um, we just gave the, the best picture to Moonlight. Now we're going to give it to something that's kind of like on that same sort of like white apologist film uh, in Green Book. And so like, that's, that's my conflict with it. And it's like, it's like he said, like, I feel like nowadays we should be kind of past this kind of film winning Whereas like back then I can under, I can at least understand like tensions were high. Um, there wasn't as much like knowledge about the situation. And so when you see someone come out and talk about it, I can definitely see that like people are like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm understanding racism now by watching Crash. And now we look back on it like retroactively and we're like, oh no, we, we aren't at all. So like, that's where I stand. It's like, I think Crash might be like the worst movie overall to win, but I can understand its win more than I can understand Green Book's win in the grand scheme of things. Can I just ask you, this is going completely off topic. I'm just genuinely curious. Do you, do, were you watching the awards when Green Book won? Oh yeah. What 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 a punch in the stomach. Oh yeah, it makes absolutely. A, it makes me feel sick to this day, just thinking about when Julia Roberts goes Green Book, I'm like, Oh. I haven't seen Green Book yet. I still want to watch it just to see like it's how not, white, so it's not as bad as Crash. Like I, I guess I'll use talking to you about it to kind of go into my thoughts. I feel like both Crash and Green Book um suffer from the same issues of they both think that they're the answer to racism. And on that alone, I don't think they're both good for giving it to best picture in terms of people all like because like like a win from the Academy is almost like, you know, it's like the most prestigious of awards. It's almost the Academy saying like, this is the best film of this year. Cause it's, it's no secret that it's very political, let's be fair. And the Academy giving a film like Crash and even Green Book, I mean, which think that they're political, it almost makes it look like that. The Academy kind of approve of this um, idea that um, racism is very black and white when it could be anything, but um in terms of which one I think is the worst best picture winner, I kind of like struggle the same thing that Jacob does where I think I think Crash at least kind of had the advantage and the excuse of it. it was a film of its time. It was kind of um talking about something which back then wasn't spoken about as much. Whilst Green Book, whilst it's a better film, we we should be past this. So to be honest, I still think Crash is the worst best picture winner because I just think it is that bad. But I see where Joker's coming from, where like you could say that Green Book's the worst one because Green Book, there's almost no excuse for it at this point. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. Um, and yeah, that's that's just how I mean. And it's like you said, like watching that, like uh, like watching that awards, and you like you get moments like Spike Lee running up on stage, like winning his first Oscar, which was amazing, and then you also get. Peter Farrelly and Nick Vallelonga like on stage who like in the, that just blows my mind as well because like they had just like that week got called out for having like hate speech on their Twitters like promoting like 
different sort of like hate speeches on their Twitters. And then they still mm -hmm. were like one. And it's just like, and then you get like moments like Regina King getting up on stage for if Beale Street could talk, which was like such an amazing moment, like Regina King winning. winning. And then like, I, and I love Mahershala Ali. I thought he gave a great performance, but then you get Mahershala Ali on stage who like that same week, Don Shirley's family came out and was like, this is not true. Like this is not his story. And then, you know, you get Olivia Coleman up on stage and then you get Rami Malek on stage who like everyone knew that Bohemian Rhapsody wasn't Queen's story. Like that was yeah. Brian May's version of Queen. And so it's like, it's just, and then, and then to top it all off, you get Alfonso Cuaron up for Roma. Like in my opinion, like one of my favorite, I, I think Roma is one of my favorite movies ever. And I think it's just such an intimate, like personal kind of drama. And then you get him on stage winning for director and then you get Green Book on stage for winning for picture. And so it's like, it's just like that, like back and forth of like, these awards are really cool. These awards suck. Like 2019 was just such like a, just insane year for the Oscars, like as a whole. I agree because obviously then the next year Parasite won. I feel like mm -hmm. that year of the Oscars was the Academy going through this weird transition where they were just so mixed. Mm -hmm. And I and I actually do think now with Parasite and Nomadland winning Best Picture, I feel like almost like the Academy almost changing to be kind of more like that. And like instead of like Parasite being like the odd one out, we're now gonna have more Parasites and Nomadlands winning Best Picture. And then these other films that like win will kind of be less the norm, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. That's my stand on it. Yeah, it's just it's it seems like at least from what I've seen, like over the past few years, it seems like the Academy is trying to like make up for mistakes it had the year earlier. Like, like, you know, when Parasite won, it's like, oh, like, like in my eyes, I was like, okay, like this is like kind of a makeup for Roma not winning. And then it's That's like- That's a shitty thing. Yeah. And it's just like, um, it seems like, like they're trying to like, like they're making these mistakes year after year. And then it's like the next year they're like, okay, okay, okay. Like we fixed it. And that's what like, worries me and I hope you're right you know even though like I think we should kind of take these last awards and throw them out of the like just throw them away because I don't think there ever be another awards like this just with how small scale um they had to be because there were no big budgets but it's like yeah I hope that it's not like oh we gave Parasite best picture now we don't have to award another um foreign language film for the next 10 years and it's like oh we gave this movie like we oh it's i mean it's the same thing with um catherine bigelow it was like oh we gave catherine bigelow best director now we don't have to do it for another 10 years and it's like oh we gave chloe Zhao best director now we don't have to do it for another 10 years that's what i hope doesn't happen yeah um like i hope there is like a true change and advancement in the academy um which i mean at, with all the stuff that's happening with the hfpa maybe like studios are finally like coming to their wits and like understanding that like these are real problems and that need to be addressed before we can start having film to be awarded these kind of things because like um oh shit what was i gonna say um because like when um these like articles are released like for the first time ever two women have been nominated <laughs> in best direction the same year a lot of people get all excited about that with me it's not really like that to me because i'm like okay that's good but are you going to continuously be doing this <laughs> or is next year going to be a year where we have no no women director and then the after that will be done and then that next year we may have like one i don't want that like i want to see consistency because 
I've got to be fair, like, the one thing I've always said is that it's all well and good saying that we need more female directors, but we're not getting enough... We're, we don't have enough female directors as it is in film anyway to nominate, but not only that, though. We're not giving in enough female directors films to... Franco, can you move away yeah, from your, oh, sorry, from your sorry, webcam? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I just, like, look over and you're like... <laughs> sorry. He's, he's invested. Yeah, I am. I'm interested. Um, yeah, well, in... Like, I, I'll let you get back to what you're saying, but that seems like another thing. Like, we didn't nominate Greta Gerwig for Little Women, even though we nominated it everywhere else. We nominated Todd Phillips. And so it seemed like this year they were like, oh, let's put two women in to kind of make up for the thing last year. And so it seems like they're just like going back on everything they do to try to like make themselves back in the right when it comes to like the Academy. And it's just something that like, it, it it's not like sitting right with me, like as like, a viewer and as like a lover of these kind of movies it's like like just do it right the first time and you won't have to like try to fix yourself when you come back to these kind of situations because they become complacent don't they they mm -hmm. like become because i don't i genuinely don't think that after they've gone and done the right thing i don't think that these academy members have rubbed their hands all even like moha now back yep. to our ways like, oh yeah i feel like they just become too like relaxed and they don't and like they feel because they fixed it last time, they feel like it won't happen again when it's proven mm -hmm. time and time again to happen. So I feel like they always need to keep this in mind. And I also feel like this is a problem with the film industry where we need to be getting more women into the directing seat. Not only that, we need to be getting more women to be directing more kind of like films like this because so many women are just like not, they're just doing little films. We don't have women directing like these like big like um, Oscar juggernauts. And that's another real problem in my opinion. Like even Promising Young Woman, like that was never meant to be in like a proper awards contender was it if we're being mm -hmm. honest like the only reason no, i mean it, it getting as much as it was was because of the year that it was in yeah and it it and the only reason like it was able to get that was kind of because of covid it was supposed to have like a late spring early summer release right after sundance and it was supposed to be like that kind of like movie into the summer which you know if you get a movie that early on look at the five bloods it's super hard to like keep that all the way through when because of COVID it, it was able to shift to late December and then uh kind of get that last minute push to where it was able to get you know six noms including director picture uh screenplay actress like all that kind of stuff it's kind of mad isn't it that the award season because not only that though I feel like the reason the, the five bloods was affected even more because they because nominations were announced two months later than they usually are Mm -hmm. it's kind of crazy to think though that um that we've only got nine months left until the oscars themselves yeah. when last when we had to wait 14 months last time it's kind of just because it it's weird the oscars are going to come even quicker now, now than usual yeah, but, um, with yeah all on. the with all like the big budget like all the movies that are like oh, i'm tired of marketing so we're just going to shove them out and so it's like there's going to be so many like week by week by week there's going to be so many different like awards caliber films just coming out like every other week it's going to be hard to like pick and choose which ones are going to finally make it like to the final stage and stuff like that i mean we're all hopeful that covid19 can kind of sort us out and go away and go back to normal life i think we're all desperate for that yeah. and to be fair um, i saw your tweet jacob um do you work at a film movie theater yeah yeah i'm a manager at the, the theater near me manager oh good for you mate yeah Oh yeah, I'm so jealous. I um I I, I work and I, I feel lucky to be working because it's really obviously as you know it's really tough at the moment and I'm mm -hmm. I'm lucky to be able to be working especially because I'm young. Um, but I I would love to work in a cinema or movie theater yeah. as you say in the US because 
you know, I just would. And but um, anyway, getting back to my point, um, do you think that as long as touch wood, um, that that coronavirus keeps going the way it is, and we see cases going down, we have vaccines coming in, and we can see like get back to normal. Do you think that we may have this like overwhelming influx of like all these like films are meant to come out last year getting released, which may make this this year crowded? Yeah, I absolutely agree, and I think uh, I think someone put a tweet out of all the uh, of all the um, like films that are supposed to be like running this year, and it's just like uh, if I can find it. Um, but yeah, no, I think a lot of the movies because you got to think like a lot of these big budget movies, like um, like what's the James Bond, No Time to oh, Die. Oh, No Time to Die. Um, it's like with No Time to Die, it that was a movie that had a massive budget already. And because, you know, they, they marketed it for last spring. And then, of course, it didn't come out. And then they marketed it for last fall. It didn't come out. They marketed it for this spring. And so like, like that, that's a lot of money that they keep putting into like marketing campaign that's just not coming out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so here we go. So just on um, September 24th, we're getting The Many Saints of Newark, Dear Evan Hansen, and Venom, uh, Let There Be Carnage, like all in one day. The next week, we're getting Dune. Um, the next week after that, we're getting No Time to Die. The next week after that, we're getting The Last Duel. The next week after that, we're getting Halloween Kills. The next week after that, we're getting The Last Night in Soho um crazy and cry macho the uh the um who's the old fucker uh sorry um <laughs> okay. you can say whatever uh, you like. we're getting the okay. <laughs> we're getting the the cry macho the clint eastwood film and then the next week after that we're getting eternals ghostbusters the next week we're getting top gun maverick um then the, the and king richard and then the next week we're getting house of gucci the next week we're getting nightmare alley and so it's just like then, then the next week after that, we're getting West Side Story, then Spider-Man. And then, you know, it's just like, boom, 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 boom. Like everything's coming out like in such a small little window. It's because it's like all these films need to need to get out if they want to make any sort of profit. Like for something like No Time to Die to make a profit, it's going to have to make like over a billion dollars. But my uh, bold prediction, I have a horrible feeling that No Time to Die is going to fail. I don't know why. I feel like that is just kept getting delayed to a point where people are like, fuck it, I don't even care anymore about it. Really? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a massive James Bond fan de- yeah, like, already. Well, um... <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think <laughs> the only James Bond movie I ever saw was, what was the like really bad one that came out recently? Uh, Spectre. Spectre. That yeah. was bad. The only one I ever saw was that. That's the only James Bond movie I've ever seen. I watched the first like 20 minutes of it. Like I watched the whole, like, I think it was day of the dead that they were like trying to do at the very beginning. And then I fell asleep for the rest of it. And I I don't fall asleep in movies. And that was one where I just like, I couldn't keep my eyes open. Mm -hmm. Spectre is a shit film, but I, how do you think the, I know this is about Crash, but you know the best thing about these podcasts is getting no seriously. Like the thing Got about off topic. Pod- the the thing about these podcasts that I really like, and the reason why I like getting guests on, like you know, um, 
if we're being honest, I think when people listen to a podcast after 25 minutes of the same topic, it can sometimes yeah, be yeah. So I do, I do like, like last year when Diana Sana, you know, it was a bit about Brokeback Mountain, but she ended up talking about um, her new her films, new film. about the Oscars itself and everything. Like it made it for a much more interesting. Mm. So, you know, nothing wrong with it. Um, yeah, no. So um, do you think that the, that um, blockbusters that we are going to get like big blockbuster, like, um, Oh, why is it? Why is the word slip my head? It's like the most basic word ever. Um, but it's like how much money a film gets every weekend or uh, uh, box, box office. Jesus, yeah, that's it. Do you think yeah. that we are going to get the box box office back back and run it back and run? Yeah. So I think um, I think again, looking at this like release schedule, I think coming up first, A Quiet Place Two on Memorial Weekend. I think that could be a very big movie to get a lot of people back in the seats. I don't think it's going to be as big as what people are thinking, just because first off, it doesn't have John Krasinski in it for the most part, um, which I feel like was a major uh, pull for the first one, because yeah. he's Jim from The Office. Um, I don't think it's going to be as much of a kind of experience. Did did either of you guys see the first A Quiet Place in theaters? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. yeah, I did. Did you so see I, Yeah, I saw it in cinema. Oh, I did as well. I, oh, wow. I, this uh, is like the first film that we will probably see in the film. <laughs> I, uh, I remember like going to that movie on opening night, buying like a large popcorn, a large drink, and then just sitting there the entire movie and leaving with a large popcorn and a large drink. None of it gone because nobody was moving. Nobody was saying anything. The whole theater was quiet. Like, I feel like that was really the appeal of the first movie. I don't think that's going to be mm. as major in no. this one the, um, from, but I still from the, the new one looks are like quite hectic to be fair yeah yeah, yeah exactly and I, I still think that this one's going to do numbers just because it is like that kind of big franchise but you know I think coming out with A Quiet Place Part 2 and then you've got In the Heights coming a week after which I or yeah I think like a little over a week after which I think In the Heights is going to be one of those kind of large scale come back to the th I, I feel like once it once it gets time it's gonna push the narrative of like get back to the theater see a large scale like feel good musical movie um and then not like not long after that you got f9 which um f9 the trailer looks bonkers people love that i mean that franchise makes so much mm. money yeah. um and then i think like I think with those three films, you're going to start seeing like more and more people trickle in. And then of course, like yeah. by the time F9 comes out, it's almost July. And so I feel like the vaccines will start, you know, everyone will really start feeling more comfortable. The vaccines will start coming in and people will start um, hopefully by like, hopefully by Black Widow, theaters will be able to open up um, a little bit, maybe 75% capacity rather than 50%. Um, and then, you know, Black Widow is going to be a massive movie. People have been waiting for that uh, for a long time. Space Jam 2 is going to be incredibly nostalgic. Um, I feel like, but with the films you mentioned earlier, for the film I'm most excited about is The Many, the Many Saints of Newark. That film's going to be mm -hmm. like amazing to bring back like Sopranos after oh, 20 years, 15 oh, years, yes. much. Sopranos, it's going to be amazing. I really want to get that. Who's. Um, oh. who's Sorry, Jacob. Uh, I'll just say this quick. I'll let you get to oh, you're good. You're good. Um, who's that guy in it? Who's he's like really? I saw him on Joe Rogan. He's like a really. Um, what in Sopranos and the many seasons of Newark? Sopranos. Oh, James Gandolfini. 
Sopranos. No, not him. It may be him actually. Oh, his his son. It's his yeah, son. Yeah, Michael that... Gandolfini's in it as well, which is gonna be like it's amazing. Him. Yeah, that's it. I really want. I'd really love to get him on the podcast. He seems like such a good mad, guy to talk yeah. to. But yeah, I... anyway. That's just something I wanted to say. Frankly. Yeah, no, if I didn't know that, um, I mean, I'm up for that. Like, it'd be so good to talk to him. Jesus Christ, like... It'd be, it'd be doubtful. I mean, if we can catch yeah, him of early, course. then maybe we can. Yeah, yeah. This is the thing. I'm grateful to be a part of Music City because as long... Because, you know, I can use them to help get people on. Mm. And sometimes people just, you know... Sometimes their agents will just be like, oh, sorry, yeah. they're busy. They're, yeah, their yeah. schedule's full. And it's like, oh, right, yeah, okay. You just don't want to come um, and I get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, to... To go off like what you're saying, like that's like that, that's the thing. That weekend is going to be absolutely like I yeah. by that weekend, theaters will need to be back at 100% mm. capacity because you're going to get the Mini Saints of Newark, which is going to pull in so many people who love yeah. the Sopranos. Oh, it's so um, good. Stuff like that. You've got Venom, which I know Venom is. Like, I know the first Venom wasn't great, but it was a fun movie. Mm. And you still have Tom Hardy. It's still Spider-Man property. It's still Venom. You, you're still going to get that kind of, like, insane sort of film. Like, the first one was where it was just kind of, like, bonkers off the wall that, like, yeah. wasn't great that people enjoyed. And then you're going to get Dear Evan Hansen, which was a massive musical. I mean, was, like, probably up with Hamilton for probably one of, like, the biggest, like, most well-known musicals of the last, like, 10 years. And so, like, all of those three movies are coming out on the same day. And so, like, I I really feel like um, I really feel like once we get to that point, that people hopefully will be able to come back comfortably, and then that's when it'll start really picking back up at the um, hmm. at the theaters, like box office wise, and it start kind of like theater wise getting back to normal um, just a little bit. Because you're a manager of a movie theater, are you are you feeling worried or stressed that like it'll be hard to kind of like maintain and follow the rules and still like get people? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, of of course, like I'm in I'm in a much smaller market. I'm in like a small town um, about an hour north of Nashville, Tennessee, in Kentucky. Um, but I mean, going to the movie theater is honestly so much safer than like going to the grocery store and going to. It is um a restaurant because you you got to think like whenever when the when the movie ends we come by we spray down the seats we let them dry we clean up we're constantly cleaning when the movies are going on we're constantly cleaning the bathrooms we're cleaning the lobbies we're cleaning um like the hallways everything like that when the movies let out we're cleaning the theaters i mean like which what grocery store are you going to that you see them constantly cleaning the shelves mm-hmm. after someone takes down a box of cereal and puts it back on the shelf, you know? And and it's another thing like movie theaters enforce masks much better than a grocery store can. I've gone to the grocery store and seen people just walk in. Yeah, same. It's ridiculous. Yeah, really we've nilly. seen like, that. People, and like, and the problem is, um, I don't know whether it's the same in the US. In the UK, um, it's quite hard to do because if you ask somebody who's exempt from wearing a mask, can like why aren't they wearing a mask or, or can they wear a mask? It's technically classed as disability discrimination, so it creates this really you don't really know what to do. So most of the time, it's they just leave it. Well, so it's the same with well, trains as well. They, people like sorry, I carry on, Jacob. Sorry, no, you're good. No, all right. Sorry. Um, with trains as well in the UK, like they can't check every single train and every single passenger. So most people just get on without a mask and they're like you know. When that 
and they think they're not doing much, but actually they can a lot because a lot of people get on those trains and stuff like that. So, so it's just a, it just gets my nerves, but people mm. wearing masks, it's not even a big deal. Anyway, yeah, Jacob, did you? Yes, yeah, you go on, Jacob. Uh, can you? Is everyone alright? Can you hear us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, oh, sorry. my I, my I, connection you... was. Uh, oh, it's okay. Messed up a little bit. Yeah, it's okay. Um, right. No, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing, like like with grocery stores and like stuff in the UK, like it's a lot different, but I know like with the theaters, we're technically like as a theater, we're private property. So we can, we can tell people to leave if we want to, like we can allow people in if we want to, like it's up to our jurisdiction. And so if people come in and they're not wearing a mask and they refuse to put one on, like we have, I've, when we open back up in uh, like September and October, like I, I had to like tell people to leave because it's like either you're going to put on a mask, wear it to the theater, take it off in the theater, or you're not going to see a movie today. And so that I think that's like another thing that kind of movie theaters have a leg up on is like having that jurisdiction to be like, guys, like you're listening to us or you're leaving. And it's like that, that could be something that might deter people from coming to the box office. But I think, I think it's one of those things that like enough people will be eager to see movies and I think enough people will be willing to put a mask on for like the five seconds they have to buy a ticket and go to their theater. Do you have to wear it when you're watching the film? So you're supposed to, but it's one of those things that like we can't monitor every theater. Plus if you have popcorn, drinks, stuff like that, it's like once you get to the theater, you're kind of, cause we've got everyone spaced out. Like you can't sit two seats uh, like away from someone. So it's one of those things that, like, once you get to the theater, you can take it off and kind of like enjoy it, like enjoy your time, eat your popcorn, drink your drink. And then once you come back out into the lobby, everything like that, that's when you got to put it right back on. When, so what day, day is it that theaters open back up for you? In the UK, it's the 17th of May and um, we've got a hell of a lineup, Franco, for that day. I'm telling you. It's um, so, the, do you want to, so the film's coming out on the 17th of May. So the one I've already seen Sound of Metal and Nomadland because I got screeners of them yep. because and Nomad and Sound of Metal is already both Nomadland and Sound of Metal are out anyway, but they're getting a theatrical run. Yeah, yeah. We've also got Spiral, the new Saw film, Those Who Wish Me Dead, and Those Who Wish Me Dead, Peter Rabbit, and Peter Rabbit too. So I'm gonna be balling come Sunday for May, mate. I yeah okay. I mean, um, Odeon Cinemas they've made their unlimited um card membership only nine ninety nine a month. That's insanely yeah, good. You yeah. go once and you've made your money's worth. So I'm not except for Peter Rabbit, Peter Rabbit Two. Neither am I, but I'm just going to go watch it for the sake of being able to see a film. <laughs> God. And to be fair, the one thing I'm excited about is that I don't like sitting next to people because some people aren't always the most pleasant. So I'm looking forward to literally not oh, being yeah. allowed to sit next to people. <laughs> people in cinemas sometimes when watching when I went to see Hereditary in cinemas, the people behind us. Oh, Ugh. some people are assholes. They ruin it. It's ridiculous. Mm. Talkers, I, I literally want to take out every single person in the world who talks or can just does anything that's a nuisance in the cinema. Do you, um, do, to be fair, sorry. Jacob, you must love your job because you get to literally go up to people and be like, all right, sort it out. Yeah. Do you have to I get to tell people to go. Oh, uh, you, what'd you say? Have you had to do that like before? Like, be like, have you ever had to tell people to leave? Oh yeah. Um, oh, that's when we open when we open back up in uh when we open back up in October ish, 
um, that was actually my first week of being a manager. And there was a guy who came in and had like his shirt over his face. And like, I had to tell him, I was like, either, like either you're going outside or you're putting a mask on. He was arguing with me like in front of everyone. And I just, I told him, I was like, I'm not going to argue with you, like wait outside or put a mask on and get like, get what you want to get and go. And um, I mean, it's not like the best thing in the world. It's definitely like uncomfortable to be like, like, Hey, you got to leave um, just cause you know, people are people, but it's a, uh, it, it's one thing that like, you know, you just got to do sometimes. And, you know, when there's people running around in the theater and talking and being a disruptance, it's like you give them all the warnings and uh, if they still don't listen, then that's on them, not on you. I just think it's so just rude to go somewhere mm-hmm. people are paid, people have like, yeah. you know, taken time out of their day. They've made the journey and just to, oh, it, oh, it, it grinds my gears. Yeah, exactly. See, that that's that's my thing. I would much rather tell someone who, uh, I'd much rather tell someone who's being annoying to leave than to tell the 30 other people who were in the theater to give them free tickets and to tell them they can come back and see whatever, whenever, and have them like, have them have a like a terrible experience. So is that what you do? Yeah. That's a good uh, thing I mean, you to do, mate, as a manager. I'm just saying I'd appreciate if managers did that. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. Like if someone comes out and ha- complains, like, and then they had like a actually like truly bad experience, um, we'll usually give them like a free pass, just complimentary, letting them, um, letting them kind of come back and have a better experience. Cause you don't want to build that. Like, like you want customers to come back, especially yeah. at the movie theater. And so, um you know if someone's in there and they're being annoying and people want to leave it's like you do something like that um but yeah i would much rather like ruin that one that one person's day than have you know 30 other people have their day get ruined for sure well that's the thing though i've only ever i've complained loads because i'm just i'm just one of those people that will just do it like i used to be really shy about it but like it's got to the point now it's one of those things that really built up in me like if i someone's just like being a nuisance and like i'll go and i'll just go and complain i've only ever been given i mean i'm a limitless member anyway i do do you offer anything like that at your cinema or is it just pay for a ticket uh yeah i i work at regal um oh which i I say i say aloud now they're probably gonna listen to this and come down on me um but uh yeah no (laughs) (laughs) i work at um i work there and so they offer their their like pass or whatever uh that they do so um how much is it so yeah um, it's different for different theaters they have an 18 dollar a 23 dollar 18 21 23 and so like the 23 gets you into like all theaters like across the country uh 21 gets you into like 400 plus and then 18 gets you into 200 plus it really just depends where you are like if you're in like a bigger market like la new york something where there's a lot more people are going to be buying the pass you might as well get the 28 if you live somewhere like i do the 23 the 21 or the 23 might be better just because it's a smaller market and you can like go to the theaters in you know in bowling green where i'm at or in nashville or wherever 
I mean, like the one thing I wonder, and I don't suspect you know the answer. I'm just saying. I've, all, I mean, obviously I'm not complaining. It means I can literally, I literally, I before COVID, I was there all the fucking time. It was ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. it would be like, my, like it would get to the point like, um, so like whenever I had college and it wasn't a day I was there and like my younger siblings were at school, my mum would go get them. She'd come home and it, and before I'd be like, where are you? You're not home. And now it's like, oh, he's at the cinema. It's fine to leave him. Yeah. And <laughs> um, I was there all the time. But like the one thing I do wonder with like these like unlimited cards or whatever you call it, your passes, how do these, how do these, I wonder how these movie theaters feel about it because they can't be making as much money as they probably want to. Because I wonder how, how the cinemas work in terms of giving, in terms of taking that money and then dis- distributing it to these like companies. Well, well, so a lot of um i don't know how it is for you guys but like a lot of theaters here have their own version of it so like the theater i work at has like its own version so like the money it makes from the cards it makes like that's money that goes back to the company um and i can i can tell from working at a theater that the people who have the pass get a much better deal than what i get as an employee um like so much better that like when they first started rolling out, I just, I wanted to buy one for myself because I wanted to be able to like come to the movies when I wanted. Um, Sadly with my like employee benefits, I can't, I can only go twice a week Um, or I can either go twice a week or I can go once by myself and bring someone with me. But, um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the money, I mean, a lot of the money goes right back to the thing. So it's a lot better than like when movie passes out, if you remember movie pass, um, um, we we live in the in the UK, so um, I know what that is. Didn't it? Didn't it go? Didn't it? Yeah, work movie out? pass. Yeah, movie pass. Uh, which is not surprising, but I remember I had movie pass, and I used to go like three times a week. And then when movie pass kind of went under, that's when I was like, okay, like I just need to get a job there so that I can keep seeing movies and not having to pay, you know, twelve bucks a week or twelve bucks a, like, a uh, day. Back back when you were young, was it? Was that like you're like I must get a job now? <laughs> yeah well yeah that was like two and a half years ago and i'm still here so do you want to know what mine was my dad stopped paying for subscriptions because my dad's like very kind of like money paranoid mm-hmm. as i think we all are he doesn't like stuff going out of his account so he tries to limit as much as he can so like i like lost netflix amazon prime everything so that was yeah. like my like all right i must get a job so i can pay for these subscriptions and then you know other benefits came of it but yeah um Crash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think what we've gone off. Think... Gone, gone, gone. Frank. about Crash. Ludacris's character. When Fucking they... hell! Right, we just got like this is this is going to be weird. Yeah, no. <laughs> we just when got off now. So went nice. over the um, some Asian guy. Oh my gosh! Yeah. What was the point in that? There was they ran him over and then they sort of like tried to pull him out and they dumped him at the hospital and then he comes back later in the scene and the lady who was arguing with the um. Uh, Latino lady. Um, was it the one that um, was it the one that Matt Dillon's character argues at the doctor? No, no, no. It was the uh, it was so okay. So I I get like it's this is another like one of those like manipulative things they try to do is because the the wife of Asian character that got ran over, which it's like you said, like this is another person who's in the synopsis. And they maybe had like 20 minutes of screen time, yeah. like at the most. And they just, their story like really didn't matter all that much to like the grander story. But she was the one who was arguing with um, with Don Cheadle's girlfriend, wife, 
whoever Don Cheadle's like partner was. The, she was the one arguing when they got in a uh, when they got in a crash, and because um, she was the one like at the very beginning who was like, if you like if you don't speak English, like I I don't know what you're saying, like whatever whatever and then so that's why when she went and saw her husband who had just like not only been been run over by like a very large car had gotten dragged down the street (laughs) under the car um and so it's like like that was that's when she walked in and when she was like oh like I got I got in a in an accident with this one lady and I was like and it was like oh I was super mean to her when like the other she was being like just as mean back and so it's like like that's just another thing that's just like like how how quick people are to like change it's just like such an unrealistic point of view do you think that something I'm really curious about is that Jim did you other of you to watch that film The Hate You Give no I watched some of it. Um, I well, I watched some of it before it was taken off streaming services, and then it was taken off streaming services, and so I, I didn't get to the end of it. Um, it's not the best of films, but I hate you give as an example to me. It's like Crash, but I don't think it's a good film. But I can accept it a lot more, and I can tolerate a lot more because like it's not viewed in the same way as Crash and Hate You Give. It's very much just trying to be like that. It's just trying to be like a very black and white film about like race and everything. Um, and so do you think it's fair to say that the reason why maybe, including us, including, because I'm not going to lie, I think it's one of the reasons why I dislike Crash even more than I would, is the reason why people dislike it so much is, is because it, it won Best Picture? Uh, absolutely. Um, I think having that kind of, um, having that, like, stigma behind it, like, Best Picture can either be, like, the best thing to happen to your movie or the worst thing. You take a movie like the King's Speech. If the King's Speech doesn't win Best Picture, people look back at it and they say, oh, oh, you know, this was a very, like, touching movie. Colin Firth gives a very great, like, very good performance. Um, the direction's not terrible, yada, yada, yada. Like, this was, like, a very good movie where it's, like, people look back at it now and they're, like, why did this piece of trash from uh, Tom Hooper win mm-hmm. Best Picture when it's, like, okay, like, like because I think, I think we live... Oh God! I, oh, f- forgive me, anyone listening. I think we live in a society that um, that kind of like jumps to conclusions a lot when it comes to things. And so I think when people like when people see something like the King's Speech beating the Social Network, they look at that and they're like, you know, I've seen the Social Network. I know how good the Social Network is. Like how did how did this movie when they haven't seen the king's speech and they're like oh this movie's awful because it beat the social network and i think that was one of the things that was happening a lot with um with the trial of the chicago seven this past year where... i was about to say do you remember when me and you were talking on twitter and i was and we we were both big fans of trial weren't we we were like a part mm-hmm. of like the few i really like trial i think it's a yeah. i think it's a really good enjoyable film but i was saying to you i don't think it do, i don't think it really deserves best picture much but i don't want it to win because if it does win it will just turn into another king speech where it's a good film but it just shouldn't have won over another film which is why people then because then people just inevitably just start shitting on trial even more mm-hmm. i feel Oh no, you you're good. Go. I feel I feel with like what you were saying, Benji, with the whole like best picture. I didn't sort of like go into it thinking like I knew it won best picture and vote back, but I didn't sort of let that sort of like sway my decision, like my like opinion of it. Like I knew it was a bad film, and I knew like 
when I finished it, I thought this shouldn't have won, but I didn't sort of go, oh, if this is one best picture, it must be like the best film of the year, sort of thing. Yeah, but I knew it was a massive tragedy. Like I knew it was a massive cause a lot of uproar. Like nowadays, I think you put it best. It is a tragedy. <laughs> it yeah. really is a tragedy. Like yeah, it's just losing. Like so it's just fucking sad. And yeah. and I hate I hate like the kind of like I hate that people don't understand. Um, what Green Book's best picture win was. And so it's like now anytime a movie that's not the front runner is going to like potentially upset for best picture, that's like people deem like not worthy. It happened all year with the trial of Chicago seven. And it was like my least favorite thing that happened like throughout this entire season is like people kept comparing the trial of the Chicago seven to Green Book. When it's, it's not like, Green Book. Trials it's not Chicago at 7. all. Charles Chicago 7 is very aware of the film it is. It's not trying to be something that it isn't. It's not trying to be exactly. the answer to anything. Exactly. And like if the trial of Chicago 7 never like it never comes out and says that it is trying to be like the answer to a specific um to like a specific demographic. It comes out and it says like this is a true story about protest and it's about like protest against like a corrupt government. It never says it's like protest against this or protest against that where like something like green book comes out and it's like oh like this is a movie where you know white people can feel better because there was one white guy who kind of stuck up for this black dude and so it's like watching people change it's like like that's and that's another thing i think that's we take we put so much which i mean we should like best picture should represent the year of movies and should be the best picture of that year i think that's why something um like Nomad Land was a very like good win, even though I would have rather had Minari. I still think Nomad Land's a good win because it's about, you know, people struggling to find work and people struggling to like live in this sort of day and age where um where you're just not kind of cared for as much as you know you should be. And if you're like middle class, like you have to like be okay with being like on the road all the time and stuff like that. And so I feel like movies should be a representation of the year if they're going to win best picture and so like i understand getting upset when something like the king's speech or something like the artist or something like um even something like crash wins best picture but i think we put so much into it where it's like people think oh best picture means like the best movie released that year yeah it's, it's it usually not if i ask the thing and, like- like I was saying to you, it's, it's all very political, isn't it? It's about it's about the campaigns, about the film itself. Or it's about mm-hmm. like, because when I something about Green Book, I don't understand is like how can you how can you go from the Academy that voted Moonlight when they could have easily gone from La La Land, no one would have been upset about it, but still gone with Moonlight. And even Shape of Water, even though Shape of Water was a predictable win, even that film requires an open mind to really understand it. Even though I'm not a fan of it, I still see where it's coming from then to go to green book it's like i wonder like what the mm-hmm. mindset is sometimes with these people was it for me like i'm not like the big sort of oscar guy like beauty but i know like the very basic sort of awards and i when like best picture sort of like a film wins i just think it's like someone's opinion i feel like with the mm-hmm. academy they're really trying to like make it sort of all um equal equal and stuff and i was really trying to like, oh there's, there's a film about like a touchy subject like race like moonlight or um crash or green book and they sort of go okay well let's say let's put moonlight up there because it's a very touchy subject and we'd like be like oh they voted moonlight let's you know 
yeah, you sort of thing, even though like they don't do it. I feel like they don't do it because it's like a very good film. They do it because of its subject, personally. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'm, again, I'm not like a big Oscar guy, so I don't really know if that's true or not. So it does have something to do with that. If a film, it kind of makes me. I think Lord of the Rings, um, um, best picture win is the only one I can think of where they gave it best picture just because it's a great film. Very rarely will a film win or even be really being nominated for best picture if it doesn't have like a meaning or like a political incentive behind it, like. Well, yeah, I think like, there were there. Yeah. I think there were definitely a few this past decade that were like, kind of broke that mold. Um, the artist, to be fair, actually, like yeah, like the artist. Even though like the artist was much more of like a, a technical achievement, um, and you know maybe the, another film should have won, but at least like, at least the artist like tried to like be like a technical and like I I enjoyed the artist the first time I saw it, but then you got mo- uh, movies like. Um, let me see. Like after that, you've got Twelve Years. Uh, no, it was Argo after that. Then Twelve Years a Slave. Which yeah, it's then, like like you said. Like yeah. you've got Argo, which was semi political. Twelve Years a Slave, which was you know Birdman wasn't that political, was it? No. Eh, it it kind of when you like really like try to peel back, it was very like it was very political on Hollywood as itself on like. Um, on actors who are like blockbuster movie stars. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why Michael Keaton was so good in it because Michael Keaton was that kind of blockbuster star in the past. It was like fading out before Birdman came out. And then it's really touchy on like critics and it's really touchy on like method actors. I think like it's, I think Birdman is probably one of the most like self-aware movies that at least I've ever seen, like not self-aware in itself, but self-aware in the kind of, like landscape of film itself and like Hollywood itself. Um, but then, you know, you've got something like, uh, like the shape of water, like the shape of water. There wasn't like too much, like, but I mean, every movie has got like political issue, like not issues, but like political behind it. But like the shape of water was mainly just a fantasy film. And I feel like that's the same thing with the Lord of the Rings. Like it's, just a fantasy film that whether you li- you liked it or not, like it just was good enough to break that kind of genre issue and make it through to best picture. Um, which it's like, you're saying like, it's something we don't see that much anymore. Like, I feel like something like maybe, um, I got like, I'm looking back like gladiator maybe was something to where it was more of like a, that was more of like an action thriller that people just enjoyed rather than like watching it to really like feel something like political or personal or something like that. The Departed like, pe- is I think is a good one actually. Cause like that yeah. one's not really, like it's not like a fun film, but like you still like, it's, The Departed is a really interesting one cause it doesn't really fit either, but it won like, it's not really trying to be, would you say The Departed is political? I wouldn't really say it is. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't I wouldn't really think so. I think the departed is more just like telling telling its story and telling um you know telling like the story it wanted to tell. I mean it's it's like I said, like I feel like there's there's different meanings and different like politics behind any film if you want to uh kind of like look at that. Like you can always nitpick a film and kind of find stuff that like touches a higher uh like a higher like sense or whatever but 
Um, but I, I feel like The Departed would definitely be something that's just like, it's just one of those movies that just kind of tells tells a story. And like, you just kind of like, you sit back and you enjoy the story it's trying to tell. Like, I don't, I wouldn't put like The Departed on the same plane as like The Hurt, like The Hurt Locker or something like that when it like comes to like, pol- like politics and stuff like that. How long have you been paying attention to like award season as much as you have been? Because I've only been doing it since uh, Moonlight and La La Land. So I I really started paying attention. Um, so I guess twenty sixteen was when I really like started like paying attention from then on. But I've gone back and like tried to like catch myself up on a lot of uh, a lot of like the stuff happening um in years prior as well yeah. so um, reason why I'm so excited. yeah i mean i've only I'm a, i've I'm only been like enough. covering it for a few <laughs> sorry i wasn't trying to be rude. sorry there's probably a delay yes this, this, this is a delay and then one of us starts and i'm like oh um but mm-hmm. it's the reason why i'm excited to make more retrospective reviews and just write up more about the oscars previously because i like learning about it really you know it's really interesting and it's just it's almost like it's almost like a puzzle like predicting because sometimes you have to go with like past stats like the reason why i ended up predicting parasite was not only an honest ballots but it hit sag ensemble wga and eddie which is like a really good crash got that com- combo before upsetting at best picture so <clears throat> did oh what was the other film that did it uh, there's something there's another one that did that. i just can't remember what it was but like yeah it's a really good combo to get um to win um, best picture and it's just it's just so interesting to me the whole thing like, i know some people it could be the most boring thing ever like like i don't know about you but i either like this year for the first time i like was watching all of like the smaller like awards and like mainly because i was updating the twitter on mcdi but still i i just really just enjoy the whole experience getting really just mm-hmm. just really emerged into it yeah no i i agree and that's like for me before sundance like completely wrecked me which Sundance was like one of the best experiences of my life but like I was staying up because I I reviewed everything I saw and so I was staying up until like 3 a.m like writing and like trying to get stuff out and then I would wake up at five because we would start at six and so like Sundance just absolutely like killed me but before then I was kind of doing what you were doing where I was like keeping up I was trying to keep up with all of the um like the smaller like critics groups and trying to do stuff like that which like you said like it is just like exciting trying to like keep up with all those kind of stuff and then trying to see how that translates into the oscars and then going back and seeing like how it did in the past and it's just it it just is like one of those like real interesting kind of things i really really want to be a part of sundance this year because i if this year goes normal it will be an in-person thing so like mm-hmm. i'd have to like first of all get access then make my way then oh it would be so hard i probably wouldn't be able to do it but sundance is on my to-do list within the next 10 years i really want to go to like sundance i want to go to tiff i want to be a part of it i just really want to just like i've been in this film for so long and before like these things were like so out of my reach but like now i've been doing what i'm doing and like, i'm great i'm gaining this momentum and i've been part of music c i really want to finally be able to do something like that with my life but that, that would be literally a dream come true for me i know that you and ricky were like over the moon when you got to be a part of sundance and i kind of i'd literally just feel the same yeah yeah which it, it's one of those things like it was on it was all virtual this year which 
Um, I know it's completely different, but it would be like surreal to like be there and do that kind of stuff. But I was um, getting, I was getting so, so, I was getting so jealous because it was like people, people like you, Ricky, Amanda, and everything like putting everything about Sundance on Twitter, and I was like, oh. <laughs> well, it's also annoying. Um, it's also annoying because there's like, like all the news about Mass has been coming out, like Bleecker Street picking up Mass, and like people like contemplating, like, oh, is it going to get Oscar noms? Is it not? And it's like. Like I'm one of like the few who's actually seen it and I just want to watch it again, but I know like shit, like I'm not going to be able to watch it for like months on it on end. And so it's like one of those things, it's like super cool in the moment that I can like, I can see it, I can talk about it, but I can't see it again for like a very long time. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things you kind of take and give what you can with it. Um, so, go on, Franco. Go on. Go oh, you. He. Go. 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 Go back to what you said, Jake. I feel like with like best picture films, it also like all really depends on like how like the, the specific like person that like, views the film. Like in a really mm-hmm. in depth film, they can see it in a completely different way to another person. So I feel like that really comes into play of like best picture sort of films. Oh uh, no! Absolutely, and I. It's like. And nowadays, I don't know, I, especially, you know, like Benji and I were saying, like, we didn't start covering till recently. I don't know how the Oscars were doing it back then, but it's like now, you know, you could have like, with the preferential ballot, um, it becomes confusing because it's like, someone could have, let's say, someone could have Nomadland, it's their number one movie of the year. Someone could have Nobody Land as their number three movie of the year. And it's like, like as long, like someone could, like everyone could have Nobody Land as like their number like seven movie of the year. And it's just like, it's so interesting how that kind of preferential balloting works. Like if a movie like Nomad Land doesn't get 50% of the first place votes, then it goes to the second place votes. And if it doesn't get 50% of the second place votes, it goes to third place and like down, down and down. And so it's just, it is kind of just like weird how, um, how that placement, like you said, like that placement can mean so much to um, to if the film wins best picture or not. And so it just, it is kind of interesting, like keeping up with it and then keeping up with like the precursors. I mean, that's like one thing I was saying, like during Oscar night, um, when, uh, when Nomad lost cinematography and of course, like they, fucked up everything and they like, put everything in different places oh, or whatever joke, but um, they really yeah, fucked I, I didn't watch over. that no i i, I told franco it. when he was pissing themselves about what they uh, did the best actor putting at oh, last yeah. and then it was awful. doesn't win it was yeah. awful yeah absolutely awful and it's like it's not just like chad Boseman winning it's like it's awful for like um anthony hopkins as well but like when uh, nobody then lost screenplay and it lost editing and it lost Cinematography. Um, cinematography you're like okay well there hasn't been a best there hasn't been a best director best picture co- only combo since 1938 and so you're like does Land vulnerable and you kind of have to think either Land's vulnerable to lose best picture or uh francis mcdormand has to win for yeah. Land for like for it not to be like an anomaly type of situation and um so that's when, like, when that happened, that's when I was like, okay, either Nomadland's not winning Best Picture or Frances McDormand is winning um, 
best actress and it's like it's one of those things it's like um weird like looking how like things kind of match up with each other it's like it's so strange thinking about how like how important film editing is to winning best picture i mean you look at uh crash crash only won screenplay editing and picture and it's like screenplay and editing are like the two like major things because when you really think about it like that's the movie like the movie is a screenplay and it's how the movie's put together on the editing block and so it's like it makes sense when you think about it but it just is one of those things that's like crazy to even like envision that like those like those two aspects like matter so much in the grand scheme of things yeah because i feel like when people sort of like see the screen and they go oh that's like not that important but when you actually sort of like are into the oscars you realize how big the little ones first seemed how big they truly are like yeah mm -hmm. i agree with you on that one mate it's weird like i had no understanding of it before like before like i was aware of the oscars but like before the year of moonlight the moonlight land was the first year before that I'd like no idea how it all worked. So like I'd see like one nominee and then like I'd really want them to win up and get the scene right, having like no like knowledge of how it all works. And I'd be like so shocked and surprised by like now I look back on that and I think, why was I expecting that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think I was thinking I remember do you remember when Mad Max Fury Road was nominated for Best Picture? I like mm-hmm. my attitude then was it's the sickest film, it's the most fun film, it's gotta win. And now I feel stupid. I'm like, yeah, like that. No, well the uh the funny thing about that is like that's that's one of those oscars i remember like insanely like vividly and like i remember that was so okay so i kept up with the 2016 oscars like on my own but the 2017 was when i was like really engaged like on twitter and with other people and i remember like being on twitter and seeing um seeing uh my god what is what is the movie mad max fury road okay so that was 2016 but like i remember seeing mad max fury road like winning every single tech imaginable and people saying like guys mad max fury road is could win best picture and it's just like it's one of those like insane things that like once you win so many like lower because if you win if you, you gotta think if you win like seven or eight like technical awards it's like okay well who put all of this stuff together the director and the producers and so you that's when like the director becomes like a real threat to win because someone you can't have this cinematography you can't have the sound design you can't have the sound editing you can't have um you know the score everything without the director and the uh, producers putting it together. And so when you win all of those kind of technical awards, then you think like, okay, so director's a real possibility. Picture's a real possibility. And I remember like people were freaking out because they were like, guys, Mad Max could win best picture. Not like in a bad way, because I feel like Mad Max is a very loved film like overall, but it was like one of those things where like, like this could actually happen. And then of course Spotlight came out and won, um, which fittingly I really enjoy Spotlight, but but it is kind of one of those things where like you really start to like take account to like those little aspects of it and they like make their way into the bigger story. And it's just like, it just is kind of interesting like looking at stuff like that. In, term, in terms of um, this year's Oscars, what was the biggest surprise to you? So... <sighs> So this is one of the years where I wish they wouldn't have changed everything. I wish they would have gone straight through because if Chloe Zhao 
hadn't already won director, I think having Mank win cinematography would have been like that kind of like ballistic moment like on Twitter where everyone's like, oh my God, is David Fincher going to win for Mank? Because it won production design mm-hmm. and it won cinematography. It seems like a nice package, doesn't it? It'll yeah. be just It'll be just like um, Shape of Water, wouldn't it? Just something like mm-hmm. that, like production design and technical, yeah. Exactly. And it's like, it's like, okay, well, who, who picks that? Like who, who has the final say in the production design? Who has the final say in cinematography? So it's like, it's, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, is, is this now a a real threat? Even though we like, we knew in the back of our minds, it wasn't and that Chloe Zhao was always going to win. But it's one of those things where like, could this be a true threat to the thing? But of course we already knew Chloe Zhao won. So for me, that wasn't as big of a surprise as um, the original song was actually really shocking. Uh, I didn't think they would go with, uh, I didn't think they would go with her for Judas and the Black Messiah. Because it's by far and away my favorite song of the nominees, but I just couldn't believe it won. I couldn't believe it. Because if you, um, my reaction video was really long this year because I did it with a few people and we had a lot to say. But like when like it wins, like I literally, because everyone's like, I'm out of sync so some people haven't seen it win yet and I was literally I'm like hold like my breath in just to stop like saying it that was crazy it's a good it, song which, which yeah which it makes sense because that's another thing that like you really look to and you're like you look at like okay which of the original song nominees ha- are tied in with best picture and it's like everyone wanted well not everyone obviously but like most people wanted like speak now to win or they wanted like the fan favorite Husevik to win or they wanted Diane Warren to win it's like okay well Husevik was a Will Ferrell comedy that its song was the only song that actually like meant something in the film but it was so late in the movie and people might have already turned it off like and the song's different because you can literally go on Spotify and just listen to the song and if you like the song you can vote for it and I think Um, that's what they do and I yeah. think the fight for you when proved it. I literally think that because, mm-hmm. like, the, like, the, like it, on my write up on Music City, I didn't even talk about fight for you because I just didn't think there was any incentive to give it the win at all, despite the fact it was my favorite song and I wanted it to win. Because you know, like, I like I put we could either have Leslie M. Jr. win for Speaker Now, who's nominated for supporting actor, allows him to win there, like Lady Gaga. We could have Diane Warren her do, or we could see the only song that features in the film when like I just didn't see the incentive. Hear my, if hear my voice one, that would have been awful because that's just such a shit song. And I just didn't think Fight For You had any like good incentive to win at all. Yeah. And then that's like, that's one thing where you like, you look back and you're like, okay, well like Fight For You has the most like star power behind it and it's a best picture nominee. And so like, it's like, it's one of those things that like, of course, like, the Academy didn't nominate One Night in Miami for Best Picture. So they clearly didn't like the movie enough to nominate it for Best Picture. And like, so you look back at it and you're like, okay, like it's not going to win screenplay. It's not going to win supporting actor. Is it really going to like get this only win? Even though it's would have been very deserved. It's like, it's one of those things like looking back and forth that is kind of interesting keeping up with it and like being like, oh, well, the fight for you win feels like, or no, no, no. Yeah, the fight for you win like feels like it was out of the blue, but then when you really think about it, you're like, well, it might have actually had the best shot of winning because it was in the movie that people probably saw the most and people probably like got through the most. This but, was the first year. Frank, you're Frank, you're I, I, no, that's fine. But I feel at the same time, like with best picture stuff, like and I could be completely wrong. 
a film could have like really good cinematography or really good like music or really good editing, but be a really bad film. So it could mm-hmm. win like technical stuff, but mm-hmm. the actual film it does happen. is just rubbish. That, it does happen. Like rarely, because usually it usually helps to be nominated in Best Picture or at least have been close to winning Best Picture in order to win the category. But there are there are definitely exemptions. I think Jacob will agree. So if like if something's good mm-hmm. enough, they will just award it anyway. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I think um, I I mean, and you see that happen. Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I'm just I'm trying to think of this past. I tried to like get this past year out of my head so fast. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the uh, wins from this past year. But you know, uh, to be fair, I don't think there were any wins of this past year which either weren't from a best picture nominee or at least like very close to being a best picture nominee. Um, Tenet, oh, Tenet won visual effects. Yeah, which that's one that I, I didn't think was going to happen, but... Really? Uh, I, I, was, I, I, I definitely I thought people would be turned off too much by it. The, the thing is, Tenet, um, I think it deserved to win, but Tenet had, like, the most subtle visual effects, which they've shown to like. And I'm not trying to say it takes away from its win, but they were definitely the easier visual effects. Like, you could do them, like, quite easily, I found out, on, like, on, like After Effects and everything, which, like, made it all the more surprising. So yeah, um, I love Tenet, man. I, 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 Tenet's oh, let, let's just get it off out of our system. Tenet snubbed the score. I haven't personally seen the film at all. Have you not? Oh, wow. you're no. you're fine. You're fine by not seeing it. Oh, oh I, God. I, well, I think me and Jacob are off. It keeps stopping. I've, I've got to go through the settings because it keeps stopping after twenty five mm. minutes. When speaking to my dad about the film, because I know he watched it, I know he he said like it's like Christopher Nolan sort of needs his brother to help him with like he does he does yeah he's getting too big for his boots, Christopher Nolan. He's making his films overly complicated. I think I think he got through he got through like half of the film, and he was like he got through the first half of the film, and he was like, "This is such a cool concept," and then he started like really thinking about it, and he was like, "Okay." now I have to prove to everyone else that this is just as cool of a concept as what I'm thinking. Hmm. Um, I, I thought Tenet was a well-made movie on its own. I didn't personally enjoy Tenet all that much. I thought it's not that like it was confusing or anything like that. Like I was able to pick up on it fairly, like not fairly easily, but like I was able to like understand most of it, but it, it just was one of those things where it's like, like once you like really like understood it, stuff started to not make sense, and it's like situations happened that like really felt odd to me, and uh, it was just one of those things where I was like, I know Christopher Nolan has made, especially coming off Dunkirk, which I think is like, I mean Dunkirk is one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's just like coming off something like that to do something like this that like tries to be overly complicated for the sake of being overly complicated like that, that i think that was the one thing i said like tenant's biggest problem was like the tenant aspect of it mm-hmm. but um think, but yeah that's that's my tenant rant i think with like christopher nolan's films like um memento and interstellar inception because they're like quite uh, complicated it really makes that like, focus on the characters like much more and really makes like sort of like connect especially with interstellar and matthew mcconaughey's like relationship with his daughter but like, i feel like if like this plot wasn't as like sort of confusing it wouldn't sort of have the same effect mm-hmm. personally i don't know if i'm wrong here, but 
Yeah, I think I think there's times like like something like um, Inception versus Interstellar is like something you can say where um, you know Dunkirk versus uh, Dunkirk versus uh, Tenet, where it's like like in my like I'm I'm not a fan of Interstellar either. I don't think Christopher Nolan's very good at at like writing like those kind of stories, and I. I think he's much better at like the kind of spectacle aspect of it. So I think I liked how like Dunkirk was like, you never really like, like you never really got too much backstory from the characters, but you still cared for the situation they were in because he made you care for that kind of situation. Whereas in Tenet, he tried to make you care for the characters and then like learn about the backstory. And I think the same thing with Inception versus Interstellar was like, interstellar like he really tried to build that like father-daughter connection that like went through the entire film whereas like in interstellar or in inception like i know we had that kind of like family connection with cops character and uh stuff like that but i think in interstellar you're more learning about the family through the spectacle rather than learning about the spectacle through the family and i think in interstellar you kind of learn about like that whole spectacle through the family. And I, that's one thing where I just, I think Nolan's better at uh, spectacle first, like story second than yeah. he is at like story first, spectacle second. Sorry, I was just, I was, I was taking some, uh, I, I had a pack up this week and you introduced me like, enjoying the conversation. So I was like, I'm just, I'm, I thought getting like my sweet, Frank and how much like my sweet stuff. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Especially energy drinks. Oh. Mate, I've calmed down the energy drinks. Shut that's your mouth, true. Mate. No, yeah, 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 that's true. Still have the odd Coke in the morning, though. But, you know. Yeah, me enough. and Franco. Well, we have good banter, don't we, Franco? Yeah, we do. Yeah, me and Franco. child sounding adult. You know? <laughs> um, I, say, I put that as a joke. Drinks. I wasn't expecting... Yeah, no, no, yeah, I don't, I don't really care, don't worry. Like, I, wasn't expe- I wasn't expecting Alpha Reviews to debut at 71. <laughs> if I knew that then. I was well happy with that. Did you see that, Joker? Oh, what? We debuted at 71 on the film and TV category on Apple Podcast. Nice. We were well happy with that. We couldn't, I couldn't yeah. Believe. Only done two. I don't understand how it happens, but I'm happy nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Um, uh, I guess I, to kind of like get back on the, to get back on the little crash thing, um, I think we've talked about like a lot of the stuff we don't like. Mm. We'll, I hate like taking over and like asking you guys questions, but like, okay. like what's what's something that like you actually did enjoy from the movie? I liked Michael Pena's character a lot. His yeah. character was the one character I liked, and I think we're actually in agreement here. Um, but he, I thought his character, I thought his scenes with Dort were written. They felt mm. the most heartfelt and genuine. I felt like it was the only part of the film that Paul Haggis felt like he was coming from a um, genuine place. Mm. And especially the scene with the invisible cloak. Like that mm-hmm. scene sort of really like quite really moving because like you could tell they came from like a sort of rough area and then yeah. Was yeah, and, traumatized. yeah, no, I agree. And I think like if anyone from the film were to have gotten a nomination, I wish it would have been Michael Pena kind of just for that like invisible cloak. Cause I think that was probably like the like that's that's a moment that I can see on like an Oscar clip. I can't see like anything that Matt Dillon like 
screaming at the doctor or like helping his like stuff like that. I can't really see that as being like a showcase of his acting talents, but I think like Michael Pena's like talking about the uh, the cloak. I can see that being like a actual showcase. Okay. Um, and so yeah, so I I completely agree. Um, I think the other thing I actually liked, and the only reason I like didn't give it like a half star in my review was uh I I actually did like that song that was at the end um in the deep yeah and like it felt weird like because it was just like so like forced in but um but actually did like that part of it a little bit that lost the oscar to um it's hard out here for a pimp have you seen that oscar yeah uh yeah it's my yeah one of my favorite uh one of my favorite oscar wins actually if I hate to like plug myself, but me and Ricky did a, uh, we did a podcast where we talked to the director, um, uh, Craig Brewer about that. And he like went through the whole process he had of like writing it and like, you know, story short, if you go listen to it, you'll hear like, he literally sat down in the studio with three, three, six mafia rolling a blunt and writing like an Oscar winning song with, three six mafia and like if you don't know anything about craig brewer he's like this very like white dude and so it's just like funny like thinking back like looking at that kind of thing like he was just sitting there like helping them write the song while terrence howard and taraji p henson are like in the in the booth recording it and here's just like it's it's a really interesting story um if you go listen to uh to our interview about it yeah it's funny it was an amazing, it was one of those things where he said, uh, he said that like once he got nominated, he knew he was going to win. The weird thing is, is that through the inter- some of the interviews I did, like you, obviously you were the one who reviewed my Hilby Ergy one and mm-hmm. everything. Like, it's weird. Like I saw these, seeing these people win Oscars on telly and then speaking to them, like this is, it's almost more weird than if like I interviewed Glenn Close because I'm so familiar with Glenn Close even though I don't know as a person, it'd feel more familiar if I spoke to her. Speaking to these people felt odd because I saw them on TV, didn't think like much of them at the time. And then I'm interviewing them. And it's a bit like, how the fuck did like this, like, yeah. it's like, how did I end up here? Like, it's like, there's like weird, like loop I found myself. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. Like talking to the people behind the scenes. Cause it's like, because it's like you said, like people like Glenn Close. They're so in, they're so in like, the grand scheme of things you know they're stars they do their movies like stuff like that where like people like um people like uh paul racy um and like makeup teams and stuff like that like people that you've gotten to talk to and uh people that i've gotten to talk to it's like people who aren't like always in the spotlight but they have oscars in their home or like have nominations next to their name it's just kind of cool like seeing like how genuinely excited like someone who i guess is more like personable on like that kind of level is like getting a nomination and think sorry this is so rude i'm eating whilst talking i got so like oh it's my sugar (laughs) craving um the thing i appreciate most about the thing i I really have you have you met paul racy uh i haven't talked to him like personally i've dm'd him uh once and i got to talk to him a little bit um after he got the nomination but i haven't like i haven't like spoken with him one-on-one because um the thing i liked about him most was that like he'd um he didn't he wanted to be an actor for so long he didn't get it 
but he didn't turn it into like a sob story. He was just so grateful that he got there in the end. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah. I just oh, I love talking to Paul Racy. He was by far and away the my favorite person that I spoke to. He would just just everything about him is an incredible point of view on life. He oh, he he made me feel good about the world just knowing people like Paul Racy in the world. I don't want to sound like rude about like you know. But was he been it? Because I'm not. I don't not, recognize. Not much. Him. No, that's that's the thing. Sound of Metal oh, okay. was literally his big break. Oh, he, like, it's Sound of Metal. Okay. He got like tiny, tiny like roles and like other stuff. But this was like his like actual first actual proper gig. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was a uh, he was on like he was on Parks and Rec for like an episode. He was a very like he was a very like minor character, and he was on <laughs> he was on like Judge Judy. He, he was, was like a sign he was like a sign language. Um, it's weird watching it, isn't it? Knowing he becomes just to see him there, just like. As like a nothing person, just sign languages. Yeah, weird. and um, yeah, it just and that's like going back to like why I think this year is so different than what every other year would be like. It's like like that's that's one of those guys who isn't um, he's not like he's not well known. He's like super small. Like him, him, Maria Bakalova, and Yu Yoon Jo Young were three people who like if a bigger movie had come out, none of them get in. And like, they're the guy, like they're the guys and girls who it's like, you know, we look back and we're like, Oh, like, I'm like, this is a snub. Like this was such an underdog story. It's like the underdogs finally got to be like the giants for once, which was really cool, but it's something that like, it sucks because if you weren't like a part of this time, it's just something that probably won't happen again, unless we have another, like pandemic level type of situation or we have like a shutdown in Hollywood or something, which I hope doesn't happen. But um, but, uh, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, unless like something catastrophic like this happens again, we won't get another, um, another like super small scale. I mean, like movies like, like sound of metal, the father, uh, maybe even Nomadland. I mean, like if we would have had West side story, Dune, um nightmare nightmare alley uh french dispatch like all those movies releasing last year like the best picture race would have been so different than what oh, we ended so up different. getting it's weird to think end. how different it could have um, been yeah like something like something like the father maybe gets anthony hopkins only um nomadland might still do fine i don't know if it like does as well as it did santa metal's sentimentals getting nothing except like a lone sound now um you know you've got stuff like uh just like smaller stuff like that that just like it just gets lost in translation when trying to like really get it um so that's why i think like last year is like so cool when you like look back on it but it's something that i doubt is gonna uh is gonna be something that happens again oh god i was just thinking we were talking now how we talk about maria bakalova Mm-hmm. I was like, so I was sending out emails trying to get as many interviews as I could, and um, I um, and I sent her agent agent an email, and, and most of the time they say yes, no, but she was one of the few people that said, um, I'll have to see, can you send me some of the outlets? So I sent her Music City in my YouTube, and I'm an idiot. I forgot that my last video that I'd made a joke about Mira Bakalova being my future wife, and now there's only a six year age difference. Oh, so I was like, no. yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm probably not getting an interview with her, and I was like. Did you get Uh-oh. one or not? No, I didn't. No, mate. Oh no. Uh, sometimes they can see that as endearing. Um, I mean, at least I... it wasn't like. At least it wasn't like you sitting there bashing the movie yeah. and bashing her, and then 
trying to like I don't know I mean I, I, I hope they got the context I was joking because yeah. they could, could come across as really creepy me yeah. like oh my future yeah, wife yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no I, I'm sure I'm sure they would have seen it as endearing I'm sure it was just one of those things where she was just uh, busy I mean she's picked up like seven projects like Jesus. seven big projects already so um, you know, she's balling mate she's doing well like I'm jealous like Franco, do you ever like do what I do? You see people of our age being so successful, and you're just like you get so oh, jealous. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's just like, well, how? Especially when I look at people like fucking Jacob Sartorius, and I'm like, how come like he's like out here like doing his shit, and like not even like me. I don't want to be all entitled. Like, why don't I? Like, just somebody else in general who actually mm-hmm. got fucking talent. It drives me mad. Yeah, like like th- that's that's kind of where I'm at because like I'm I'm only 23, but I'm at the age where like there's actually like people my age are getting like drafted into pro sports and like, like, like I'm like the same age as like, uh, like Patrick Mahomes, who's like one of the biggest names in football. And it's like, I'm at the same age where like, I'm at the exact same age as like Caitlin Deaver and uh, like Florence Pugh and like people like that who like are doing these like massive things. And I'm just like, God, like, what am I, what am I doing? And um, it just is kind of one of those like really like interesting and like funny things once you start getting a little bit older me and franco were talking about this the other day it's it's a really sad thing that some people are so hard working but it's also about luck and if you if your time to get lucky doesn't happen some people do spend their life chasing yeah. something that sometimes won't happen and but it's the same thing is like if you get like really famous young i feel like you can sort of like grow up to be really entitled and really sort of like i agree with that mm-hmm. absolutely I, like I agree with that those like the kardashians hey yeah like um val kilmer Oh, like the stories of Val Kilmer, Christian like... Bale, Leonardo DiCaprio. Really? Are they up to? Are they really entitled? Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. Is, he's not entitled. He's never given off a sign that he's entitled. Christian Bale has, in terms of he like he like acts like he's like all it on. I don't know what it's like now, but he's like I think Jacob, mate. Have you heard about that like, controversy? Like what he's like on set, what he's like with people. He has this like, attitude like, oh, I'm Christian yeah, Bale. Like, I... why are you talking to me like that? Like. Yeah, I've, 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 yeah, I've definitely seen that. I've seen that, and I've also seen like, like Christian Bale's an interesting one because he has done that, but he's also like been really defensive of like his co-stars and stuff like that. Um, but it's just, yeah, I mean, I completely get what you're saying. Where like some people kind of get to like, kind of get their ego ahead of them, and uh, they've just been at it for so long, and um, it's a lot different than like. Like if you get like a, you know, a Christian Bale on set versus like a Paul Racy who is just kind of like brand new, to, like really new to the game. Like how it's kind of funny how different their mm-hmm. like kind of stories will be. And the weird thing is the people, Paul Racy, despite the fact he'd only done one film, he was so much more interesting to talk to than anybody else yeah. because like he just seemed so like grateful and willing to talk like he didn't have to do the interview with me now i can imagine he's had a lot of people but he tries and do does as many as he can because he is just he is just so grateful and he really mm-hmm. wants to be able to express that what's well, so recently i watched the uh, heart of darkness the apocalypse now like making off documentary mm-hmm. and marlon brando like he's still a very good actor but he like mm-hmm. arrived on set he was like he had didn't read the script he wanted like i think a million a week or something and he was like sort of and he didn't want to work more than a few weeks. And it was sort of like, you're help, you know, you're being in this person's project. They chose you because they like mm. want you to be in something. If, if it's a bit, I just think it's like really rude to sort of like turn up and just be really like difficult. Yeah, to work with. no, absolutely. I think, I think definitely for like, 
for anyone, whether you're, you know, actor or director or um, any kind of like cast member like that. I feel like, which of course, like I'm not in the industry. So I guess I have a very different outlook of it. And there's something like where I guess like a lot of us might not fully understand what goes on behind the scenes and stuff like that. But I definitely feel like the people who kind of understand what they're doing and what they're making and that they're not making like, they're not making things for themselves. They're making things for, you know, other people to either like entertain, um, like empower, uh, help people feel, feel things. Like, I feel like those kind of people who like really understand what, what they're doing as an actor, as a director, as like an entertainer, as a performer, um, I think those are the people who are like just not only joys to be around on set, but like joys to be around, like just in person, someone like, you know, Paul Racy who tries to do as many interviews as possible. And then um, kind of people like that, who just are like genuinely like happy to be in the position they're in. Yeah. So I think, is it fair to say we've been going nearly two hours now? Wow. Oh, do you wanna, Jesus. Yeah. Didn't feel like it. Jeez. Do you want to Do you want to just try and round things out? I don't want to leave. Yeah, yeah, my, sure. I mean, I my back it's basically begin to come back. <laughs> yeah, that's good worry. for me. That's fine, yeah. yeah. My back's really beginning to fucking up. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Don't want to go back to hospital just yet. So, <laughs> shall we Um, shall we? Uh, rate Brokeback Mountain then? You mean Crash? Well, uh, Crash, shit. Are we going to rate Brokeback Mountain or Crash? <laughs> Be a very different rating. <laughs> Are we gonna are we gonna rate crash? Yeah. Um, okay, I'll just go like how it looks on my screen, so I'll start with Franco. Uh I'd give it like a a four or a three, like three, four. Like it's not a bad movie by any means. Like, I feel like I there are some parts I didn't enjoy and I would like watch it maybe again, but it there were just so many sort of bad factors that came into play that sort of ruined the experience personally. Right, well, I like to round out the scores, Franco, so you got to go three or four, my friend. Oh, bloody hell. I'll hmm. go four. I'll, I'll go, I'll go okay. four. Why not? Go on, then, Jacob. What uh, what do you guys do your scores out of? Because I, I do letters, so um, I'm, I'm different them. Oh, we go out of 10. Out of 10? So I did a D minus, which I think is a one star out of five on letterbox. So I guess it'd be a two out of 10. Oh, on uh, yeah. That's rough. If um, which it's like I put on my letterbox. I was like, if if it wasn't for the acting from mainly from Terrence uh, Howard, um, Michael Pena, Don Cheadle, and uh, Than Thandy Newton, who won a BAFTA for this. Oh, Jesus yeah, Christ. which I mean, she she deserved to be in the actress race more than yeah. you know anyone in the actors. But uh, it yeah. wasn't for them, and it wasn't for that kind of ending song it would have been like a half a star but i was able to like i was able to pull that out of the um the film as a whole and find some like decent in it but other than that i mean i just think i think that it's i think it's you know we talk about like emotional manipulation in films i think it's just the most emotionally like manipulative film kind of i've ever seen and just manipulative film in general um i it's very tasteless in my eyes it kind of it's like we said earlier it kind of talks a lot but it doesn't really say anything none of the characters other than michael pena's even like the characters they want you to like 
like. None of them are really likable. Um, like they kind of all have a lot of flaws in themselves. Um, and it just, maybe I'm just looking at it in like 2021 eyes, which isn't an issue, but um, it definitely doesn't help the film itself. It just, there's a lot of moments where, um, there's a lot of moments where like, especially moments where you heard the hard R get dropped and then you realize it was two white people who were sitting like and doing that and in moments where it just wasn't like ever needed or necessary to the story um it just kind of i i don't know it just it it felt very off-putting to me for a lot of it right well i'm in the middle of both of you i gave a, a generous three out of ten um mm-hmm. i i love i think michael pena's performance is the it's oh, yeah. a saving grace in this film uh, apart from that i think crash is overly written i think it's pretentious yeah. i think it's cliche i think it's borderline racism in itself and it is by far and away the worst representation you could get in a best picture best picture winner mm. anyway with that i think that rounds out this episode um yeah. jacob we i think me and franco thank you yeah thank you very much <laughs> Well, why do I say no me? I think Franco. I'm sure Fra- me and Franco are very grateful for you coming on the show. Thank we you. appreciate you being a, a new guest. And uh, oh, Franco, uh-huh. it's time to spin the wheel, ain't it? Oh yeah, forgot about that. So, now, aren't we? did you ever do this at school, Franco? Like, uh, it'd be like a group of people have to do something, and then like, um, and uh, the like teacher will like put up, um, like put up like your names or groups, and yeah, be like, yeah. right, this group's going first. I don't care. It was like, anyway, with questions. Okay, anyway, we'll let Jacob free, so we'll do a spin the yep. wheel. Let's go. Spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. Spin the wheel. And we've got the deer hunter. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Good. Okay. So we're, we're learning right now that next time it will be the deer hunter. So join us for that, ladies and gents. Anyway, Jacob, thank you very much, my friend. Yeah, thank you very much. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to come on anytime. I had a lot of fun. I did as well. We went off topic, but that's never a bad thing. We, exactly. I know, well. we enjoyed ourselves, and I think it'll make for good listening. Even though uh, I hope people listen to some Spotify because me and Franco are looking very dark at the moment. I don't know what you're about. Okay. Thank you very much, Jacob. And thank you for listening, ladies and gents.